Hello, welcome to Recapping with Delora and Ashley. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Recapping Podcast. Also, comment, rate, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We're on all the things. We would love to hear your ratings of the movies and shows we review. Email us your audio file to recappingpodcast at gmail.com and we will play it during the show. Or DM us on Instagram and we will post and read it on air. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you. Delora, we back girl, what's going on? Hey Ashley, I am doing wonderful. How about yourself? Good, you know, it's the week of Essence Fest. Can you pinch me? I cannot believe this. I am so excited. Not only is this my first time going to Essence Fest, it's my first time going to New Orleans, to NOLA. So I'm excited to get some of this food. I'm excited to see all these beautiful Black people and to have some unforgettable experiences with you, girl. Absolutely, Ashley. Cafe du monde, we are on our way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of Blackity Black, we have to recap a Black show. Atlanta season three, Delora. This is an FX and Hulu show. And again, shout out to Brandon. Thank you for this request <laughs> for this recap. We got He's you. Gonna get a kick out of this. I love it. We got you. <laughs> All right. So, quick summary, guys. Ern and his cousin Alfred, based in Atlanta, try to make their way in the world through the rap scene. Along the way, they come face to face with social and economic issues, touching on race, relationships poverty, status, and parenthood. Season three is interesting because we have quite a few standalone episodes, but in terms of cast, I'll just name our core series regulars, which is Donald Glover as Earn, Brian Tariq Henry as Alfred, aka Paperboy, Lakeith Stanfield as Darius, and Zazie Beats as Vanessa, aka Van. Delora reviews for season three for Rotten Tomatoes, 97% critic score, 68% audience score. And overall for the series, it has 92% from Google users. What is your grade for Atlanta season three? All right, Atlanta season three. I like to say that each episode with its own little surprise there were moments where I was like, what in the Jordan Peel is going on here? <laughs> there were definitely more like scary parts than previous seasons also. But overall, dark humor, Twilight Zone vibes, and hilarious cameos. I'll say it's a season full of Teddy Perkins, okay? Uh, <laughs> I give this season a B plus. How about you? definitely a ride this season. I know when it first started, we said we did not know what to expect and every episode really ran with that theme. Didn't know know who was writing the episode, didn't know what we were in for, didn't know who the cast was necessarily going to be because it was almost half of the episodes of the season were not with the core cast. So, I mean, that was a decision, honey. And even though there were elements that were weaved between all the episodes, you really did get an experience every single week. So, yeah. I really, really enjoyed the season when it first started because it was the first episodes were wild. And I know we micro dosed them. 
And there were still, I say the bulk of it I enjoyed, but there was a little bit of, you know, lull between some episodes for me too. Probably particularly the drug trip through Amsterdam was probably my least favorite episode (laughs) of the season. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So overall, it gets a B because I did enjoy it and I will... I, I will watch season four. I'm excited to see how they wrap up the series, but it's a B. All right, guys, let's get into this season. We had already discussed episodes one and two previously, as I mentioned in a micro dose, but let's go back to, to the very beginning. We start the season off with episode one, three slaps. And I want to call out the writers because I know it was written by different folks. And the writer mm-hmm. for season three, episode one was Stephen Glover. And it starts with a scene on Lake Lanier. Delora, had you heard about the folklore surrounding the lake before you watched this episode? No, but I have heard about Black towns being underwater. Mm -hmm. Um, Amber Ruffin has a wonderful explanation or history of it that I highly recommend people check out to get more information about it. But um, yeah, it was fascinating. I know I had heard of Lake Lanier, but you know, it was one of those things that was like in passing. It didn't stick in my mind. And I also didn't know that this was necessarily what this episode was starting off with until I was seeing people live tweeting about it. Because I told you I watched this episode Mm. when it was actually airing, which is rare for me these days. I usually watch stuff next day or on Hulu, whatever. Yeah. So I was getting all of the information. I'm like, this is creepy. And not only is this creepy, I was wondering my second watch, how long had this black man known this white man? Because everything he was saying and the way he was maneuvering, I was like, he would be creeping me the fuck out. I'd be like, um, I'm going to need to take this boat back to shore. I don't know what's happening, but yeah. I'm, I'm a black person. I don't, I don't play these games. Not at all. As soon as I start <laughs> feeling uncomfortable, something has got to change. Especially in the South. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to lie. Sure. <laughs> I had that little tingle running up the back of my neck. I said, how, is this your friend? Like, how well do we know him? <laughs> if I have to hop out this boat, I don't know what's happening. But one thing that he said that really struck me again on this second watch was he said, with enough blood and money, anyone can be white. What do you think about that, Laura? I don't know, man, because it was a lot of Black white commentary throughout this entire season yeah and when it comes to Donald Glover I know his brother wrote this episode but you know it is his show he's annoyed me when it comes to talking about blackness and things like that in the past and I'm talking about his early early stuff especially about his dating preferences and things like that so it's like which is why Atlanta has always surprised me mm-hmm. because I'm like, are these just the things you don't say? Or are you saying it because everyone else is saying it? So you want to be part of the conversation? Like, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes. Or is it because of the collaboration with other black folks who are in the writer's rooms? And then sometimes it's like, are you making fun of what black people have to say about things like this? Because it kind of manifests itself later throughout the season there's one particular thing yes that I definitely wondered if it was a mockery yeah so to your point that could be very true I try to take his intentions purely because if I don't I would stop watching the show 
yeah that's fair that's fair but it's like it's just very interesting like I said it's like this dark humor and and social commentary and things like that that did we have this in season one like I really don't remember I can't remember it's been so long ago a very long time and granted I appreciate levels of evolution because again season two was a lot of fun but you know I don't know I don't know but going back and watching the Juneteenth episode that I mentioned during our headlines and hot topics I did see seeds of what we will see with Van this season which I had not been expecting really I'll I'll talk about that a little bit once we get to our discussion of Van and her journey through season three (laughs) what the fuck exactly That should have been how they ended the show. That should have been what came up. (laughs) All right. In the meat of the episode, Laquarius, a Black kid, is taken from his home by CPS after an incident at school and placed with white moms who already have multiple Black children living with them, have a stinky house, bad hygiene, feed them raw chicken, and seemingly killed a Black CPS worker doing a welfare check. By the end of the episode... These white moms try to murder the children and themselves. This is based on the real life Hart family and the tragedy that befell those children. And they did so by driving off a cliff. But Laquarius and the other kids managed to escape in time. I know we talked about this. This episode was no less devastating watching it the second time. Again, them trying to save that fucking dog. But you know what I thought about the second watch, especially Mm. because of the fact that Laquarius goes home afterwards and his mom's reaction was, oh, so you finally decided to come back. What do you think stopped Laquarius from leaving sooner and going home? Girl, that's an excellent question. Because again, with (laughs) the season, they obviously are tap dancing on deeper commentary when it comes to race and living in America or black people living in America. And, you know, the only thing that I could come up with is this, the idea that people who live outside our house or even in this case, white people have it better or do things, you know, in a, in a way that you think is better than your current situation and that's not always the case so like grass is greener on the other side when that's not you know necessarily true I don't know if I don't know but this is this is me taking a guess because that that's a great question I I wasn't able to come up with that answer while watching it then yeah (laughs) because to the mom's point like when one of the moms was like I'm sure the situation you have here is better than wherever you came from I was like no actually it's not his mother yes actually fed him edible food yes granted he did not have the best situation in terms of you know kind of the way it was perceived his mother was very hard on him yes but he but he obviously still came from a household in in which he was taken care of you know what I mean so it's the gaslighting for me with like oh your people's food is unhealthy Bitch, this is raw chicken. You put it in the microwave <laughs> for eight and a half minutes and fed it to these children. I was honestly also my second watch wondering how any of the other three black children were still alive, given this circumstance. Like, how long had they lived in that house with them and had to deal with this and live? And they like all this? knew in their souls that it was wrong. 
For Girl, sure. they was out here being treated like slaves. Yes. Giving them free labor for them to take to the farmer's market and then having them shake their asses and wear signs to try to attract customers. It was so deeply disturbing beyond the suicide, which again, if they had not ended it with them escaping, I may not have made it through watching any more of this season. It would have been too hard and too devastating for that to really be what happened the way that it happened in real life. But it was a hell of a way to, hell of a bang to get us going, right? Well, yeah. And it almost makes me want to ask why? Why pull this particular story out of the headlines and put it in this comedy? (laughs) Because this is supposed to be a comedy of a Mm -hmm. show and obviously they're looking for deeper meaning and I'm just like I'm a deep person but some of I guess I again to our point earlier is like what's the intention of all this what what are we doing where are we going with this I guess given the fact that none of the core cast is this episode and we don't get anyone that we know until Earn wakes up at the end of the episode as if it was all a dream right that perhaps it's supposed to just be an opportunity for them to remind us or put it back into the social consciousness of what happened to these black kids and what can happen and what is happening and what Mm -hmm. has happened just by being a black person in America and how vulnerable obviously these black children were to what happened in this situation even the moms this second time I watched it again the one mom talking about when we adopted the first kid and everybody was praising us and stuff and I just kept thinking why isn't anybody stopping us that was so deeply disturbing to me this second time. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I ultimately put that the couple was scammers. Well, they obviously had gotten in over their heads with whatever their initial intentions had been. Cause it seemed like it was very monetarily driven with whatever circumstances they now fa- found but themselves all these in. these dreams and plans they had in that raggedy house that never came to fruition. You know what I mean? I'm just like, but then for, for y'all to think you have the right to take the lives of these black children but want to release your dog into Girl. the wild to live anyway i've talked about this y'all in our check, microdose y'all can go back and listen because yes. i felt very passionately about this my first time through and still do but let's move on as i said Ern wakes up at the end of the episode and um we move into episode two center claus is coming to town this episode was written by janine nevers we're back with our main cast we have alfred Ern, darius and van who arrives late and is doing some soul searching all in europe paperboy has become quite successful and is on tour but found himself in an absurdly nice jail in amsterdam he can now just get 20k on demand which is definitely a position that we've never seen any of them in before. And Ern seems like he's really found his rhythm despite his whatever sickness he's going through, which I still think was supposed to be COVID um, as manager, um, as we see them kind of navigating this European tour. Darius and Van go on an adventure from an address found in a used coat and witness the assisted suicide of potentially Tupac. Meanwhile, Alfred refuses to perform at a sold-out show due to insane blackface that has taken over the city due to the celebration of Center Claus. Two questions that I have for you from this episode, Delora. First, if you were Alfred, would you have still performed? No, no. 
I mean, that's the beauty of working for yourself. I do understand the importance of, you know, being impeccable with your words. However, that was a hostile environment for him. and He didn't feel comfortable. It was definitely hostile. The fact that they made it seem like it was so normal too was which was even more disturbing to me like which was the joke obviously right this this, <laughs> this era and year that we're living in y'all don't want to call out this blatant racism it's crazy second question I have is would you have taken that random adventure that Darius and Van went on and gone to a stranger's home just to see what was going to happen I put in my notes when trying to be free and go with fate goes wrong because (laughs) I have to admit I laughed so hard at this part of the show because I was like this is the most ridiculous thing (laughs) I've ever seen in my life again people scamming I think that's the theme I got going for the season oh we're gonna have this peaceful moment this celebration this ceremony and this dude is screaming bloody murder like no 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 so I couldn't do it I think I would have been up to I would have been up for it to a point I don't think I would have been able to release the suffocation device (laughs) (laughs) that episode was so wild because I really did feel so peaceful and tranquil leading up to it and then my thoughts again were did this man sign up for this form of death so I highly doubt it he was going to be smothered with plastic like that it was I laughed and I know that's very dark and very sick very dark but it's it was a reaction because it was like are we serious right now (laughs) what am I watching but the whole point for me was this is why stranger danger this is why <laughs> y'all would not catch me following some random white people into a van and then into a house they look like they were part of a cult too right all, all white. white yes and we're not even in america i don't no. even know what's going on yeah i would have had to be on some form of a hallucinogen or some type of hardcore drug to yeah. have ever had this instinct to go this direction the horror on Darius <laughs> especially because Van had gone over there to try to console the man and all this and that oh my gosh I'm glad we didn't see a face that's all I gotta say oh, to that absolutely but again them playing Hail Mary immediately after this man's demise told us everything we needed to know anyway Again, to my point about Earn earlier, I realized he has the temperament needed for this job. Like he really could let so much like roll off his back. Even the fact that he almost got his ass beat mm-hmm. when Al backed out of that performance because that promoter or whoever yeah. he was, was stressed. He was psyched. He he lost it. Let's move on to um episode three, the old man and the tree. This one was written by Tafik Collade. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Party at Fernando's. Earn took the crew to a party at an elusive billionaire's house. Not going to lie, that decoy house was quite brilliant. I asked Dave, I was like, would you have kept going? I don't know. I'm not going to lie. I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or what, but I'm like, unless I was with people, 
I'm like, all right, we'll go to the top of the stairs, but I ain't making no promises. Yet again, putting themselves in a situation I'm not sure I would have gotten put in. Because first of all, Earn, do you not have his number? Call that man. Call him out here. Have Will take us through the house. Like, I'm not about to go into this house with, first of all, this super rude lady opening the door, mm-hmm. acting like we're intruding on her space. It looked like a crack house. Like, I that don't part. live in this country. I'm yep. not doing all that. But for the sake like, of show. I'm not about to end up being somebody's, you know. Girl captive no thank you <laughs> we've seen a lot of films and tv shows and I'm not trying to be not trying to be caught up in any um underground sex rings but anyway a few things were going on in this episode alfred gets taken for money playing poker with fernando darius makes a new friend kind of in socks and van is stealing and assaulting strangers and by the end of the episode leaves by herself i don't quite know where to begin with this episode but I guess let's start with white outrage what did you think of the white mob that went after the Asian woman who Darius met that assumed he was hitting on her because according to her black men love Asian women that whole thing was kind of funny to me because Darius is like yeah it was messed up but on the scale of one to (laughs) ten he was like this was light work this was like work you know we've been conditioned our entire lives (laughs) whereas this is something new and frankly in style to an extent because there's also a great resistance that comes whenever there's an acceptance of black people but that's a whole nother conversation (laughs) I find it to be part of the learning curve Ashley what about you I thought it was so absurd because we should have known then how much of a problem socks was going to be he completely fabricated so much of that story about what supposedly happened to Darius and then the idea of how bothered how deep they felt about this situation that did not happen to them did not impact them they have no awareness of or no idea of was completely absurd and obviously spoke so much to a co-oping of the struggle right and then another thing and I remember talking to my brother about this after I watched this episode I wonder if I was Asian how triggering this would have been giving Asian hate crimes mm, that's a great point not sure they should have gone in this direction <laughs> given that fact but it also shows that there's definitely racism between quote-unquote minority groups as well right absolutely I just don't know if y'all should have went the Asian route yeah yeah that's all that's all I'm saying that's all observation why do you think Fernando doesn't make good on his bets there's this lie that speaking of being conditioned because we live in a capitalist society we like to make assumptions that people with money there's a correlation of good, integrity, kindness, or just someone, obviously they have power, right? But we have such high expectations with people who have a lot of money and so much respect that we give people who have billions of dollars that when you realize that they are human, just like you and are flawed, it's somehow shocking 
I also will say this. He had to learn how to get a billion somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think ding, ding, ding. You really caught me with the power aspect because my thought was he doesn't make it on his best because he doesn't have to. No one's going to hold him accountable. Obviously, everybody else at the table knew the game. That's why they all got their asses up and left, including the lady running the poker table. Well, that's what it's, that's why it sucks being the new person too, though, right? Because you don't know you about to get caught. It's like you'd be better off losing. And he's so busy being new money, being, you know, oh, I got 40. Because the he guy did. was trying to play him like, oh, it's 20K. You know what Girl, I mean? He did lose. There was no winning. That was the problem. Yeah. There was yeah. absolutely no, even TJ, the black kid who himself is there hustling, knew that Fernando was not coming back downstairs. Fernando even let his beloved tree get butchered before mm. he was willing to come back downstairs and make good on that bet. That was insane. Speaking of TJ, my last question for this episode, if you were earned, and you were given opportunity to join forces with him to hustle your friend out of money, which in TJ's case, he was trying to hustle with a whack art installation idea that he knew was whack. That would you funny. Would you have joined him? The old man in the Supreme shirt with no draws and the way they stared at it was hilarious. I'm not going to lie because it was so bad. It was so bad, Ashley. Would I have joined Am I a Stark or a Targaryen? Hmm. Or what was his what was his name? The Sparrow? I was gonna call him the Mockingjay, but obviously that's another sci-fi. <laughs> we it's were talking about Jon Snow and GOT last week in our quick headlines and hot topic. So that's why it's coming up. If it were me, no, I would not scheme. But do I understand Ern's motivation? Yeah, I do. I get it. I don't know if I would have been able to do it. I like to go to sleep at night in peace. <laughs> so if this man wasn't my friend, maybe I might consider. But being quote unquote friends with somebody, I wouldn't, I would not willingly F my friend over. No. Yeah. See, that's the, that would have been the conundrum for me, given that this is supposedly somebody you're friends with, cool with, whatever. Is it right to do that knowing that he was in a vulnerable vulnerable situation is being hustled just for kind of the reparations of the situation? So, you know, I don't think I could have necessarily done it either, but I, I didn't fault earn for he's like, well, I guess if this kid's gonna be taking your money anyway, I might as well join and, and get a cut. So it's the Again, I need to work on my poker face, but he was like, yeah, in America, it's 30%, but you know, you're my friend, 20, 25. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's business. It's not personal. It's business. (laughs) All right. Episode four, the big payback. This one we microdosed as well. Just spoke about reparations. This takes it to a whole nother level. Reparations by way of Black people suing white descendants of their ancestors, slave owners. We follow Marshall, a white man who finds himself being followed and sued by a black woman saying he owes her $3 million. Dismantles his life. His estranged wife wants a divorce. He loses his home and job. And by the end of the episode, Marshall is working as a waiter at a restaurant and his wages are being garnished to pay his debt. 
I hadn't realized the first time I watched how completely dismissive Marshall had been of concerns about reparations until that shit hit home. That's like every American. Exactly. He was so, you know, I I thought of COVID. That was the thing I thought of. We were like, oh, it's over in China. Oh, that's over in Italy. Oh, that's not going to touch us. Yada, yada, yada. So that death toll started ticking up, right? But when we lie to ourselves and say, oh, it's not real or it'll disappear one day. Well, you know, there's still people to this day who claim that it's not real. So when the white guy from the first scene in episode one returns in this episode to impart some knowledge and wisdom, did you feel like his message of lifting the curse of slavery and freedom would have been lost given his immediate suicide thereafter? In some ways, I feel like it shows how real it was, right? Because it's like, who's going to want to face that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, how do you make up stealing people from their homeland, destroying any ties to their culture, and then essentially throwing them to the darkest corners of your society and, you know, literally through government programs for centuries, keep them from being your neighbor or working alongside you or whatever. You know what I mean? We're still terrorized to this day. Girl, it's like, (laughs) my uncle, my mom told me this, is like, we haven't been out of slavery as long as our people have been in slavery. How about that in terms of the time within this country? Mm-hmm. We've made a, a immense progress if you were to look at the timeline in that way. But yeah, I just thought, I just laughed out loud because like I said in that recap originally, it's like they would rather burn this sugar honey, honey iced tea to the ground than really take a hard look and see all the impacts you know my thoughts chattel slavery has been in this country my thoughts stand as well that this would absolutely incite a race war and it would be chaos in the streets if something like this were to start transpiring because yeah so well first of all there's the hate factor the fact that we've been hated for absolutely no reason um forever and treated and made to feel as if we're less than human Um, There's that aspect, but there's also the marshals of the world who are like, this isn't my problem. This wasn't me. Why do I have to pay for something that I did not do? The lack of accountability. The total and complete lack of accountability. He was fine with the Tesla guy, the rich guy getting sued, but he just considered himself everyday Joe Blow and, you know, racism and slavery had nothing to do with him. He thought his family uh, was once slaves back in what? The BC era? What, what year were we talking about? There was something that was going around on social media um, during Juneteenth that talked about slaves. And it was like, I think like 18, what, 68 or something like that. Like we still have remnants of it. You know what I mean? My grandmother's grandmother was a slave. Like, you know what I mean? Is We're not that far removed. We're not <laughs> like, even remotely that far removed. We're not even remotely that far moved. Some of the celebrities, some black celebrities were doing the post from an auction and showing what oh, that's what I was the language about. was. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. I mean, yeah, absolutely. 
it was another one that was a standalone without the core cast. So yeah. I felt like at this point, I was like, well, maybe the ones that are the standalones are really supposed to be projecting messages and really supposed to be trying to invoke conversations. And this one was um, no different. So episode five, Cancer Attack. This one was written by Jamal Alori. Al's phone goes missing backstage. The cast spends almost the entire episode frustratingly interrogating Wiley, a super fan and relative of the manager of the venue. And it turns out Sox, who was over the top throughout the episode, was the thief and chucks the phone in the trash. I'm still now watching it a second time confused as to what this man's motivation was, why they kept him around after Fernando's house it's like he just leached onto the crew and they just accepted him we don't really do that what do you think was well, going on it was giving me Darius vibes like Darius I felt like in some ways connected to him because I feel like there there's a similarity in personalities in some ways were um, they because they seem polar opposites to me socks was an outrage over the top angry person whereas Darius is so chill and relaxed and well, doesn't I start find, things I found socks to be extremely random and I get that from Darius so that's where I'm well, kind of <laughs> the fact that he wanted to from. use the fact that he wanted to use a map of the building and go down secret corridors <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah I was unable to gather motivation this is an extreme example but the one that comes to mind would be Selena and the president of her fan club and how it's like how can you be so in love or admire this artist or what have you but then want to destroy them in the process like I don't I don't understand that line of thinking it was left up <laughs> because it's like who who is socks I, we don't even get a resolution because we don't see him again after this episode. So I don't know if it's going to come up again in season four mm-hmm. to kind of tie him back in and tie in whatever his motivation was. But then I was also wondering, how did Wiley, for one, no Paperboy's number, and for two, no lyrics on his phone? Because that was the thing that was making him seem guilty. I guess it's supposed to say he had looked at the phone prior to Sox taking it or something. Or paper boy could have did an interview <laughs> and like yeah man I keep my lyrics on my phone I don't know lyrics on the phone is not necessarily a far-fetched idea but yeah the number part was kind of like interesting for sure please back your stuff up to the cloud next time moral of that story this was a throwaway episode to me again I talked about how a couple of these in here felt like throwaway episodes to me I was like yeah this doesn't really move the needle in any way again maybe the whole socks thing is going to be a bigger storyline in season four but it didn't feel like it was necessary for them to have this episode really so let's move on to episode six white fashion This was written by Ibra Aki. Al's being used to help rehab the image of a fashion label that has clearly gotten into trouble for some kind of racism and created a diversity advisory board. How true to life is this for multiple scenarios we've seen within the last few years? H&M. The house of Gucci. Gucci. Girl. Khalil, a Black activist who clearly knows the game, had to school Al when his ideas weren't implemented as he hoped. And he basically told him, you have to start your own nonprofit so that you can control the money. 
Delora, do you believe racism will be done by 2024? Oh my God. (laughs) It's nice to put a deadline on racism, Ashley. Is it? It, it, it would be nice, but we live in a world where we have young men who are radicalized and do awful things in the name of racism. So I feel like it's part of human nature, unfortunately. Um, if you were to look at all of world history, <laughs> but, you know, to the extent of, um, where we are here in America, I don't know. I don't know. It should be. It should be interesting. Thank God for Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> I said, "Is it not?" Because obviously, I wouldn't want there to be an end to racism. But I just thought that that line was so interesting because obviously, it was just to appease the white people in the audience who wanted to believe that there was some end in sight to the issues that they are culpable for in this situation. Do you think you could play this game, though? Do you think you could be Khalil? and play this game in order to ultimately get the things that you want and you need for the community? That's an excellent question. Again, the goal is to sleep peacefully at night. (laughs) That's to do my best um, and not the expense of my people. Um, I think it was interesting because in the comedy of it all, they absolutely were drawing from individuals um, that are famous in the movement, the gentleman who was the D. Ray McKesson light character was actually quite funny Wait, as well. Rachel Dolezal, I felt like, was uh, a member as well. <laughs> that one guy um, who was a seemingly racially ambiguous when yeah. he said the N-word. Paperboy was like, that doesn't feel right, right? Like, yeah, he was <laughs> like, he was like, I'm black and I'm this and that. He said, are you? (laughs) Which is also a conversation that happens in the season. Like, you know, black and white and levels of blackness, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even though to some degree, I think we all play the game because we are set up in society to have to play the game in order to survive and thrive and get what we need. Do I think I can do it to this level where in their faces, I'm kind of a puppet, but behind the scenes, I'm able to do certain things. I don't think so just because I, I have a very hard time swallowing my feelings about things and like to sit in these rooms and to deal with this level of blatant, not just even racism, just ignorance to my face on a regular yeah. basis. I think I would be a very angry person if I had to deal with this all the time. So I just don't think I have the temperament for it, even if I wanted to. Like you're essentially spinning wheels, right? Because there's no real progress. It's just pacifying the issue. Yeah. I mean, even if let's say to his point, he was able to get a hundred thousand dollars to do what he wanted to do with it for his nonprofit and really impact the benefit, the community, the things that he's had to do and the show of support he's had to do and the press he's had to do to align himself, to create that opportunity. Again, I just don't think I'm that person because I definitely would have cussed somebody out by then. I definitely would have been Paperboy coming in that room, bitch. Like I, and, and I'm not saying I would be as extreme as him. I'm just saying I know yeah. that I would I would have a hard time swallowing my tongue in every single scenario I would encounter when it's that blatant. Yeah. Earn would have been able to do it though. Earn absolutely would have been able to do it. <laughs> absolutely. 
So Van reemerges in this episode after being gone for weeks. Earn runs into her in a hotel lobby and has to get her out of another theft situation with a quote unquote Karen trying to make a citizen's arrest the caucasity. Safe to say at this point that Van's definitely not all right. Earn is concerned about her, but she distracts him with the power of the pussy. Would you have felt guilty? <laughs> Would you have felt any level of, not even guilty. I don't want to say that. Would you have felt some type of way if you were earned at this point about Van? Do you feel like he should have tried harder to kind of intercede in kind of this journey that we're seeing her go on where again she was assaulting people pushing them in the pool at the party now she's disappeared she's stealing she's doing all this stuff like van is not okay and as the her ex-partner and the mother of his child do you think you would have tried to sit her down and have a conversation i think it's a delicate balance right i understand his concern and yes, she is the mother of his child. So I do feel like he should say something. However, because they were once partners and they are no longer partners, mm. that's where the sticky situation lies. You know what I mean? Because it's like, who are you to talk to me mm. about my life? We are no longer together is no longer your concern. So this is the point where I want to mention when I rewatched the Juneteenth episode, that was an episode where Van took Earn to a party by a very wealthy black woman who was married to this white man who thought he was so woke knew so much about black culture all of that ridiculousness and van was putting on she was kind of pretending they were pretending they were married they were doing all of this stuff to try to get in the good graces of this black woman i remember this episode yeah and it was the first time that i think i remember seeing van kind of have that switch where she's kind of able to play a part or do something that was not necessarily in her character to get what she wanted or to fulfill something she felt like she needed. And even the episode when Ern is kind of talking to her about it, she's like, I mean, you like to pretend X, Y, we know, we both know you like to pretend. So speaking of like relationship drama and trauma, that was the first sign that I was like, hmm, well, I guess this is starting to sow the seeds of what we're going to see with her trajectory mm-hmm. and the fact that she, for one, did not always feel like she knew who she was or what she wanted. And then for two, could play a part. Interesting. And I didn't remember that before I rewatched that episode. So mm. my last question for this episode, would you have felt any guilt if you were Darius over the gentrification of a beloved Nigerian restaurant by the white woman he brought to it who bought the place from the landlord and turned it into a damn food truck. Yes, to an extent, because you cannot help Columbusing. You know what I mean? Mm. Woo! Woo, yes. But I would feel some level of guilt because she had no idea what Jolof Rice was. Her dismissiveness of the previous owner and saying, oh, I don't know actually what happened to her. We never exchanged info as if she has no responsibility or culpability in possibly what happened to this woman in her livelihood spoke volumes. Absolutely. I felt like I needed to really grab a message from this, which is be careful the company you keep and where you take them. Interesting. Because they can't go everywhere. Because he had no idea that the woman who was trying to help him get lunch at this fashion label would have been such a shark and such a culture vulture. 
none of us knew. No, it was definitely a surprise for sure. Devastating. But her food probably was trash. So that's the silver lining. Episode seven, Trini to the bone. This episode was hilarious. Focuses on an affluent white couple in New York City whose son has been raised, basically, by a Black woman from Trinidad and Tobago, Sylvia. She was his nanny, and she unexpectedly passes away. Sebastian, the son, thinks his parents' food is bland. <laughs> he fits right in at the funeral that they he asked to be taken to. He's only in kindergarten, by the way. And the shit went so sideways because a fight broke out. One lady tried getting into the casket and one of Sylvia's daughters hops up and starts spouting off, taking real issue with her mom not being there for him because she's busy out here raising these white kids. What did you think about that point in particular, Delora, the grievance that Sylvia's daughter had with her? Yeah, I wanted to talk about Chet Icon to quote Z-Way. I just think it's interesting because that's, a generational issue the idea especially um recent immigrants in new york city you hear a lot about you know jamaican nannies or you know she's trinidadian nannies and things like that that is very common Mm -hmm. and and when i say it's generational like again because we're black we talk about slavery and its impact that has happened for a very long time. The prioritization of, you know, unfortunately not your children. And yet, and yet they still didn't feel like we were clean enough to (laughs) swim in their swimming pools, drink at their water fountains. You can be a wet nurse, but you you can rape baby girl. You can be my child's surrogate mother, do all the things, but you're not good enough to eat at my table, use my bathroom, it's just, it was the, it's a mental illness. That's, it's just sick. It's really um, gross, really gross. I felt angry a little bit about Sylvia's daughter because I understand you're grieving, you're sad, you didn't feel like you got the time and attention of your mother. But your mom did what she had to do to survive and feed you. Yeah. I mean, again, generational, a lot of black mothers worked a lot, multiple jobs in some cases and didn't have that quality of time with their children, whether they were nannies, nurses, seamstress, what have you, you know, just through the years, you know what I mean? Absolutely. At your big age, the big age that Sylvia's daughter was though, you're now an adult. You know about adult things. You know about adult struggles. You know that there are bills to be paid. Your mother had three children. She had to do what she had to do to survive and provide for you. So I was actually, I mean, I was not angry. I was irritated, I guess. I felt irritated. I thought it was inappropriate. But again, I think they were trying to play up what it's like to go to a Black funeral. And (laughs) about that, let me set the record straight for any white viewers and white listeners that is not the norm at every black funeral. Yeah, no, not not the fighting, but definitely crying over the casket. That's happened. There will be general shows of emotion because yes, we're not stone cold. We are very, you know, emotional, vibrant people. Yes, yeah. there may be a praise dance, which was beautiful, 
But no, ain't nobody about to be trying to hop in the casket. Ain't nobody about to be necessarily breaking out in fights. Like that's no not one the way. Jumps up on stage if they're not on the program. <laughs> like that's not gonna happen. That is not the norm, people. That's not. Back to your Chet Hanks cameo as Curtis. Perfect casting. <laughs> Chef's kiss because he is a hot mess, as we all know, but. When I say I was not expecting him and what he did in that episode, everything. One of the best gems of this season is this cameo. And then him saying he's got such a thick accent that he's from Tribeca. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. Still cannot believe that's Tom Hanks' son. I just want to be able to fly on the wall for uh, like dinner with the two of them. Just a fly on the wall. Tom Haynes get battle battle with those fans over Rita. Tom was about to lay some hands on somebody. He said, back the fuck up off me and my wife. Okay. Appreciate that. Y'all think that people be out here just so docile. Don't come for people's loved ones. You about to push that woman down. Exactly. Y'all doing too much. I caught the Paperboy Homecoming tour flyers up on the wall, by the way, my second watch. I don't know if there were Easter eggs in all of the standalone episodes that kind of tie back into the cast, but I caught well, it this one. Once in a while, there was like a news, um, somebody, something on a radio or a newscaster that's like very subtle that I, I would notice here and there. But yeah. A couple more questions for you for this episode before we move into episode eight. The, one of the nagging thoughts I had was, were these people ever around their children their child usually because it seemed like Sebastian referenced Sylvia so much that it made me wonder do y'all ever parent him Sylvia rubs his back and sings him songs at bedtime she takes him to his class every day like what when are y'all home when do y'all spend time with this child and so for that reason I wondered as a parent what you thought about how they handled the discussion about Sylvia's death yeah, that was an interesting thing because I still, I think every situation is individual for sure. But mm-hmm. because she was so woven into his world, his lifestyle, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know if I would have said that she died, but definitely I would have said something along the lines of like, she's no longer with us in terms of she's not going to be able to come she would want to but she's unable to do it like I would have definitely had to do it that way because you know kids kids are are very smart and I don't doubt their intelligence but I do think it's important to be aware on how they handle it because like for example with my child there'll be a lot of whys a lot of why 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 Mm -hmm. why and it just really depends on if you have the energy to answer those questions. <laughs> <laughs> what message did you take from the insistent package delivery to their apartment that turned out to be a picture of Sylvia and Sebastian from family picture day at school? Why is this so creepy? Like there were moments in these episodes where I'm just like, why again, giving me major twilight zone vibes. Like, why is it so and quiet and creepy because this episode didn't have to be that creepy like it was about yeah it's almost like she was haunting them from the grave yes because even the the 
face she was making in the last picture when he pulled it out it was like this look of I don't know if it was I don't think it was condemnation but almost like I was that child's mama you know what I mean like like I'm judging you yeah like look who was at the family picture day with your son because you weren't here you know what I mean so that's kind of what I took from it but you know who knows it's the mind of Donald Glover and co so let's move on to episode eight the ones I'm not reading um who is written by by the way is because I'm I don't see a written by so I do want to give credit to those who I'm seeing named and apologies to those if I'm missing any. So episode eight, New Jazz, was written by Donald Glover. New Jazz, again, throwaway episode for me. Felt like a detour. Darius and Al take a trip to the streets of Amsterdam off a hallucinogen. What does Darius do for money? Seriously. Came up a couple times. Al asked, do you want to split the check when they were at breakfast? Nah, I got it. Al had to pay for Darius's drugs. What does he do for money in the first place? Yeah, I have no idea. Because I always assumed that he was the mooch, right? <laughs> I'm like, I didn't think he was on payroll. He doesn't have any job title like Earn does. So Yeah, but he's always there. And he's is. always taken care of, you know? For a minute, I was like, maybe he's the hype man. Maybe he's, you know, he was backstage dancing at the one performance, but he didn't go That's on stage. True. That's true. So what do you do? Is he like- But I feel like every crew has this person though. You know what I mean? But I think a lot of times those people are on payroll for one reason or another. So I just need to know what Darius supposedly does. Because obviously he's giving advice. He's telling Al not to do certain things and Al's listening, like backing your information up to the cloud interesting but I have no idea what he does for money and it just came up again in this episode and I'm like yeah I don't know where you thought he was gonna get anything from like every classic black comedy show you have that one friend who ain't got no job Tommy (laughs) but we know Tommy had to have a job because him and Pam lived together at one point and I know she wasn't footing that bill alone and he was always clean so there you go R.I.P. R.I.P. Tommy the three psycho teenagers who follow Al wanting an autograph and stole a random woman's baby and threw it. Was that supposed to be real or imagined? Because that was absolutely terrifying to witness. Ashley, this is not my favorite episode. And it, it was a bit of a fever dream because it was like, what am I watching? I have no idea. That's no why for idea. me, that's why for me it was a throwaway episode. Cause I'm like, what am I supposed to be getting from this? And what does this have to do with the trajectory that we've been on? Right. But Al and Darius get split up and Al meets a very insulting yet persistent new friend, Lorraine, who gives him a bit of an education on the music business, i.e. master's ownership and took him through a red light district adventure. Let's talk about the Liam Neeson cameo at Cancel Club. This was the moment that I was like, is this a mockery that I mentioned earlier? Because they had him on here discussing the controversy that he had when he had the audacity to mention wanting to assault a random Black man after Mm -hmm. a friend of his was raped. So my question that I wrote down was, was Atlanta trying to make light and rehab this man's image for the show? Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, I'm also surprised he agreed to it, right? Like, you would think his publicist would have been like, let's not bring this up ever again. Because at this point, I kind of forgot about it. Mind you, after that happened, a lot of uh, the movies that followed didn't do as well, right? Um, Not as well as Taken, of course. But 
this was a fever dream of an episode, Ashley. So I it is really hard to pinpoint some of the message outside of it just really being a trip. <laughs> I Go just trip. Yeah, absolutely. I just didn't know what to make of that. I didn't know what to make of the episode as a whole, but I especially didn't know what to make of that because I definitely don't fuck with Liam Neeson anymore. So Oh, really? No. No. The whole skit, Key and Peele. No, I loved Vanessa, though, his wife who passed away. Parent Trap, her magic from that movie still gives me the feels every time I watch. Absolutely. I think about her every time I think about Emma Emma Thompson, for sure. Yeah, but I don't fuck with Liam Neeson. So (laughs) that's all I got for that episode. Let's move on to episode nine. Rich Wigga, Poor Wigga, written by Donald Glover. Shot in black and white and centered on Aaron, a clearly confused biracial teenager, passing as white at school and in life. This guy was using racial slurs and stereotypes against black people while playing video games, yet riding to school next to his black father. But karma, he didn't have the financial resources to get into college and an opportunity at school for a free ride is presented by a Black alumni, the heir to the pink oil moisturizer fortune. But guess what? That opportunity was only for Black students. They even made students interview to test their Blackness for that check. Aaron Avi did not make the cut and resolves to burn down the school, which also did not work out for him. By the episode's end, he's chosen to lean into his Blackness. But did he really choose or was he forced? I don't know if I like the term force because I think what we see in this episode is the lack of benefits of distancing himself from Blackness. <laughs> like, like it's something that I saw growing up in school, especially with biracial people. They never wanted anything to do with blackness until it, it came time to apply to college mm. scholarships mm. and that was always disheartening because it's like well what's wrong with being black right and I do understand and respect being biracial but it was just always looked down or the it was always inferred in some ways that you know I'm not black Mm. the reason why I chose no no. (laughs) yo that was great the reason why I use the word forced too is because I considered was he forced out of sheer circumstance because he had done so much that did not go his way did life essentially push him in the direction to need to embrace his blackness because obviously what he was doing before was not working out and my guy had a whole you know P.O. by the end of the episode. Ooh, that last and basically working at Best Buy. <laughs> the is it was the buzz cut in the double piercing and the brushing for me. I was like, what are we doing here? Oh my god. The chain. It was the whole look. Like my guy was supposedly working at Best Buy, fitted, hitting on chicks, talking about that ass is stupid. What? Who are you, Aaron? But it was, again, the first time we meet him, not a shred of Black culture anywhere found 
in his room. He felt very comfortable using the N-word, of course, when he was playing those video games. With that hard ER. Yes, he did. But um, anything else, it was like, oh no, until it's to, to his benefit. But of course, you know, unfortunately, it's human nature. You, you just go through life figuring out how to make it less difficult, I guess, in a very selfish individual kind of way. <laughs> I found this situation fascinating too, because in my mind, usually people who are in this position of potentially leaning into whiteness over blackness do not necessarily come from households in which there is a prominent black parent. And so in this case, the fact really? that he was, that, that, I said happened, in my mind, oh, I said I in my say, mind. This happened nine times out of 10 when there is a black father, whereas. That's why I said mama. in my mind, because I don't have any real life example to pull from and be like, oh, well, in this scenario, I knew that this happened, even though this person was raised by their black father or what have you. Because look at like a Meghan Markle. Megan her mom it could is black. definitely the mother is black. <laughs> I understand. Could definitely be white passing, but oh, leans into her blackness. And I say that too because she he doesn't, was a, though. I love her to death, but she 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 doesn't. I say leans into her blackness in terms of she embraces parts of the culture prominently and proudly. Yes. When she, she had the wedding, the wedding yeah. was the blackest royal wedding that ever. there has ever Absolutely. been. That's Absolutely. That's what I mean. Obviously, yeah. she's still married a white man and what happened. No, you. no, that has nothing to do with her partner. It has everything to do with what she was before. She was very adamant on talking about being biracial. And it really, it, it was like in certain conversations or interviews, she talked about her mom being black and her dad being white, but she never liked choosing. And her whole upbringing was California Valley girl prep school whiteness you know what I mean and so for and that's why as a black person you know you root for her because she's American and you fall for the you know Cinderella fairy tale of it all and um, you saw the racism that she was getting both for being an American and having a black mother Uh, you want to make sure she's safe but she was very much like oh I'm mixed uh, you know, mm. all her friends are white and very affluent white people because her her friend set her up on a blind date with Prince. So, well, it, I guess <laughs> I can only speak. I guess I can only speak to the Meghan Markle post Harry relationship. I can't speak to previously because post, I thought it seems like she's tried to embrace certain aspects of the culture. But again, what I was saying was. It's not even like he can't, Aaron came from a household of a white mom and a black dad. It was from what I saw, just a black dad. So I was like, it's interesting that that still didn't influence you in the ways Girl, that I would have thought. That happens all the time. Again, Herschel I don't have, Walker, I don't that's have. That's a prime example. But Herschel Walker is, <laughs> I don't even, I don't want to be cruel, but Herschel Walker is not, does not have all the eggs in the basket as a human <laughs> being. He is a black, black man. He's not even out here looking like he could pass. That's a black, black man. No, but his son, Christian, 
is not out here embracing the culture. That is what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. I can see about, I mean, but in that case, like father, like son, like that influence obviously has, is not the same as it seemed like it would have been in this show where the daddy's telling you like, you get pulled over by the cops. Listen, this is going to happen. Oh, I don't think I'll have that problem. So that's what I'm saying. That's why it seems interesting, but I just don't have, I don't, I know I don't have enough real life examples to go off of because I don't really have any friends or people that I'm close with who are in this position. So I'm just speaking on what I would have expected, what my thoughts were that I would have expected. But that actor was very good. And are you going to bring up the fact that Kevin Samuels? I was going to say it was strange seeing him in this episode so soon after his passing. I hadn't mm-hmm. known he was going to be in this episode, but I thought he surprise. did. I thought he did a good job though. I thought so too, but it was definitely an interesting moment when he appeared. Um I again, I thought he did well for what he was supposed to do, but it was actually quite sad to know that, you know, you can be here one day and not the next, you know? Oh, absolutely. And it just seems it was spooky because literally he had just passed away and then this episode came out. So yeah. let's move on to our finale, episode 10. I don't know how to pronounce this, Terrar, Terrar. Yeah. This one was written by Stefani Robinson, focused on Van's European identity crisis. This ish comes to a head. A friend from back home was visiting Paris to get paid 6K for peeing on a man. <laughs> and runs into Van, who now has a French accent and blunt bangs, an ode to the film Amelie, apparently. She goes on some strange adventures, including nearly beating a man to death with a hard-ass baguette and setting Alexander Skarsgård up with drugs. Would you have gotten naked with Alexander Skarsgård if he had asked back in your single days? Girl, True Blood was my show, okay? But in this particular episode, it was giving major creep vibes so, <laughs> no no especially with him dancing to ashanti as if that's like the best song ever i'm like hilarious I'm questioning your judgment already. hilarious song choice as was his choice of underwear yes. serving people fried human hands was the straw for me in this episode i, I was like i don't want to play anymore i don't know what's happening but i'm over it <laughs> and van has a complete breakdown at the mention of her daughter Lottie what did you think about Van's journey this season this focus on her for the last episode and what her breakdown really means so to speak to her character in the show I literally was like WTF the majority of the show because I'm just like to your point earlier she wore this character so well that I was second guessing myself like has some significant amount of time passed (laughs) right with a reputation and a boyfriend she was in a whole spread in a magazine I mean mingling with celebrities and so I'm just like and, and mind you celebrities are people too but you understand what I'm trying to mean like she has a whole um rapport with freaking alexander you know uh so whatever she was going through it was obviously hella deep (laughs) because she was completely transformed and to see her wake up out of it one congratulations to zazie 
she really did a great job in her performance like Mm -hmm. this was giving me major Amy Bate by the way um and in terms of the whole arc of her character at this rate I I really don't know what it means because we really don't know what the real solution is I'd need for her to get home to her baby at this point like she doesn't need a relationship with Ern. I just need for her to just get out of Europe and pick her pick up the pieces in Atlanta that was a lot of irony in this whole season for the most part with the main crew not even being in Atlanta mm-hmm. <laughs> They brought Atlanta to Europe, though. (laughs) I think Van is depressed, ultimately, especially when I looked back and thought about the fact that she was talking about she was having panic attacks. She had had a minute of kind of suicidal ideation in the car. And I definitely hope that based off of this kind of mental break that she had this season and the journey she went on that when she does go back to Atlanta next season, she's able to get some form of help. Like, I don't know if the plan was to focus on, to make it really a focus for mental health and the issues within the black community in those ways. And the idea of really seeking mental health help, but I hope we get to see that journey for Van because I talked to one of my friends who's an avid Atlanta watcher and he laughed through this episode. And I was like, I didn't find a single thing funny. I was so deeply disturbed watching this episode with Van. It creeped me out. It Mm. saddened me. I almost cried watching her have that mental break in the kitchen. Like Mm. it was as if I was watching one of my friends just like spaz out. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help you. Mm. and it probably doesn't help that it's Zazie and I loved I love Zazie mm-hmm. I was I was really like freak like freaked out a little bit so I just need to see her return to a better state and to definitely get back to Atlanta get back to home and figure this out I don't think it's just about her career because I thought that's what it was at first and she was like oh I didn't get a certain job and I came here it's definitely to your point I think deeper than that I think it's she's going through a depression mm-hmm. and I don't who knows if this is even the first time in her life but this obviously was the time that it was significant so yeah, and I'm also reminded of the <laughs> second episode of like you know her obviously going through a depression and even her showing up in Europe wanting a change of scenery I think she was doing the right things that could help her but I feel like she probably ended up going into uh dead ends I mean you know again following fate and following this number and address and it takes you to some really intense situations with a cult-like group you know I'm sure there's a level of disappointment there right and so the next time we see her she's just like essentially f it all let me push people into the pool because i think it's funny <laughs> and that and the fact that the one lady could not swim is it just takes me out every time wait like, wait it, it was the person at the very end who was dramatically jumping in the water to save the lady i'm like girl, oh my goodness because Ern was just sitting there i'm like Ern, that lady cannot swim like she's about to drown I just, I want the best for our cast. I think after being with them for so long and going through these seasons, you definitely want the best for the cast. But I don't think I felt this close to Van in previous seasons as I did 
in this season. You know what I mean? I don't think she had this much screen time. And if we, even if we go as far back as, you know, her trying to go to that Drake party. Mm-hmm. And trying her to girls. get mm-hmm. something out of there. But obviously Drake never shows up, which is, you know, something that's common. But yeah, very, very interesting to see her, the arc of her character. Yeah, wishing her the best. Overall, and final thoughts on Atlanta season three. What you got? Overall, it was a lot of fun. Literally, each episode was something new, something unexpected. Um, I just think it was interesting that the themes all seem to be around, you know, either Black people getting their check so to speak whether literally or figuratively and the direct white response or reaction to that right um i'm thinking about the rich wigga um poor wigga episode when the white students were complaining about the black students wanting or you know having this opportunity and they were like yeah i know a guy who got accepted to all of his schools and full scholarship and um essentially he's a ball player or whatever so they're using that as an example of like oh black people secretly get into things anyway because they're black and we're like and i'm like is that what y'all think probably (laughs) oh my gosh and there was a lot of things around scammers to different levels like i talked about that couple but then I think about the young artist at the billionaire's house. TJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. A lot of unnecessary spooky stuff, in my opinion, because I'm just like, what is, what is happening here? Like I said, a season full of Teddy, uh, Perkins. Teddy Perkins, <laughs> the creepiest episode, one of the creepiest episodes of television I've ever seen. Um, my final thoughts, this season could have been eight episodes. I really do think there was a couple in there that were unnecessary that did not really move the storylines or move the season along. I agree. And I do think that there was some really great commentary to be had from this season, some really great observations, some really great opportunities. And I'm curious now to see how they're possibly going to end this. You know, we know season four next season is the very last for Atlanta. So what are these folks going to give us? I'm still intrigued. I'm still curious. And I want to see how these folks journeys end in the Atlanta universe. So Brandon, that was for you, babe. You're welcome. (laughs) That's for you, Brandon. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate it. Give us your thoughts on Atlanta season three. Delora, it is now time for Hidden Gems. What you got this week? Yes, Ashley, I have two this week. My first, The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. If you know me, you know that I rejected this entire, you know, universe of shows for a very long time because I was you know of the opinion that it doesn't help womankind as a whole okay (laughs) but then I got into the Real Housewives of Potomac when I was moving one time 
And I chose Potomac over Atlanta simply because I think at that point there were only like two seasons. And with Atlanta, there were so many seasons to catch up on. I just decided not to do it. So I decided to catch up on Potomac, which I've talked about previously. And I was like, I think I have the capacity to add another Real Housewives to my repertoire. And I have the wealthy ladies of Beverly Hills. Now, I want to highlight that I am only watching uh, season 11 and season 12, just because I had to watch and get the tea on Erica Jane and the (laughs) debacle of her husband, Girardi. So, and then of course, Garcelle Beauvais is in it too. I have to see what was up with her. So I got hooked via Hulu and I finished all of season 11 and now I am on season 12 and I need somebody to talk to because I don't know how I feel about Sutton. I thought my thoughts on her were clear, but with her teaming up with Garcelle, I'm just like, well, is she not that bad? But then when it comes to freaking Crystal, I was rooting for her last season because she was new. And this season, she looks like a mess. So I need to figure these out, things out. Currently obsessed with it. Um, Kyle Richards and her relationship with Kathy Hilton is very unique. And Kathy Hilton is giving me wacky, wealthy woman. You know what I mean? Because she does very odd things because guess what? She can. Um, <laughs> so not much hidden, but definitely something I'm really enjoying these days. My second hidden gem is a book. I am very proud of myself. I love reading. I have a lot of books. I've been guilty of going to the bookstores because that's one of my favorite things to do, buying books and watching them stack up on the shelf sometimes. Um, But, you know, Ashley knows this, my work schedule is insane. And I'm very proud of myself that I finally picked up one of the books that I've purchased recently. (laughs) And this one is called By the Book by Jasmine Guillory. I talked about this in a previous episode because I was in the middle of the book, but I finally finished it. It was super cute. Um, Not everything's predictable and not everything about this book is cool. There are definitely corny elements. It's a book centering a beautiful Black woman uh, named Izzy and um, you know, it's, it's a take on the beauty and the beast storyline. So the guy, Bo is very grumpy and she's the bright light and you see how they come together. Um, so I want to say this really quick. So I finished the book again, things happened that I didn't expect, but there were moments where I was like, okay, this is super corny, but it was what I needed to get my mind off of the real world. And so I was like, oh, I'm ready to pick up another book. I picked up another romance book and it's a traditional one. Uh, And I say that saying it centers, you know, a white woman, she's in um, Spain and it's a very sexy Latin lover, not Latin lover, but, you know, Spanish lover element. And I realized very quickly why this book mattered. The Jasmine Guillory's book matter is because I'm like, 
you don't always get a chance to read stories, love stories like these that center Black women that's, you know, super popular. I'm not talking about Zane because these these are kind of sexy, but they're not that sexy. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, thank you, Jasmine, for being very mindful of centering Black women and Black women of all sizes and shapes and ages and who enjoys food, which I also love. <laughs> food is a very important element in her stories um, because it, 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 it warmed my heart to be like, yeah, I could identify with Izzy. She had um, knotless twists or knotless braids that she had to put up in a top knot to learn how to surf. You know what I mean? I'm like, that's a black girl thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Certain things that I took for granted that I really missed when I went into my next, you know, easy romance novel read. And I just want to say thank you. And that's why things like Bridgerton also matter too, because a lot of those Bridgerton books, you know, were nowhere to be seen, but at least we can have it visually. So that's all I got. What about you, Ashley? All right. I have three. Well, speaking of books real quick, you just reminded me, I think Sunny Halston's second in the Summer of the Bluff series should be coming out soon. Yes! So definitely got to pick that up once it's available. So yes. anyway, I have three hidden gems this week. My first one is Father of the Bride on HBO Max. I was so looking forward to this dropping because I love Father of the Bride original with Steve Martin, Diane Keaton. Yes. Same. And this one, I knew it wasn't going to live up to the original just because the original is a comedy. Steve Martin is a comedian, Obvi, and I figured this one was going to be a little different because it's Andy Garcia, it's Gloria Estefan, but I still really enjoyed it. It was, um, you know, still very family-centric and apparently attracted the largest audience of any HBO Max movie that has streamed exclusively on the platform. So congratulations to that cast. Wow. On that accomplishment. I definitely encourage everybody to check it out because again, it was still very, very lovely story. Dad not wanting his daughter to, you know, tie the knot and all those things, still those same elements, but you know, a few, a few surprises along the way. So Father of the Bride, HBO Max. My second This was such a delight for me, guys. The Summer I Turned Pretty Amazon series. I could not believe it when I saw this on Amazon Prime. I did not know it was coming, but this is a Jenny Han book series adaptation. And I loved this book series. You read the book. Oh, absolutely. Loved this book series. So when I saw it, I was like, what? Got so excited. I had not known that you know Jenny had been trying to develop this apparently for the last like 10 years and I was excited to dive back into this world I was testing my memory throughout this first season to see what all I still remember from the books what had changed what not team Jeremiah by the way but don't they look the same I don't know I'm they're brothers oh so, <laughs> yes you know it's on my list because you know I love a moment like this. So okay. But the 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 show basically is a coming of age tale that focuses on a girl who's caught in a love triangle between two brothers, and it's it's very beautifully shot because it's based in a beach atmosphere because they're her family and the two brothers' family always get together. Their moms are best friends. All of this. So first season is out it's already gonna have a second season hopefully there are three seasons because there are three books and I just 
I read some things. I read some interviews with Jenny Han and how she wanted to update this for the current generation. Because again, this book has been out for a, a few years. So really wanting to update it, make it fresh, make it resonate with today's generation that will be consuming this. I loved it. I, I'm going to be rewatching the season. That's how much I loved it. How do you feel about it being in a series as opposed to the movies that we've come to love from Netflix? I prefer a series. I will always prefer a series because I prefer long form storytelling for the most part. Mm -hmm. It's rare that I'll watch something and be like, oh, this would have been better as a movie because I want to see all those elements, especially if it was a book. I want to, I want it to have the life that it deserves. Think about how much better the Hunger Games would have been if it had been able to be a series yeah. adaptation yeah. you know what I'm saying so like it's rare that I'll think that something did not deserve to be made into at least a, a one season but again there's three books so first season so well done on Amazon Prime guys check that out my last one the lake this one I was not looking for came to me on Amazon after I finished the summer I turned pretty so freaking delightful that's literally what I have in my notes delightful funny interesting this centers on Justin who returns from living abroad in the hope of reconnecting with his biological daughter who he gave up for adoption and it kind of goes awry because he's feuding with his stepsister over a family cottage at the lake and his stepsister is played by the one and only Julia Stiles who somehow managed to look back exactly how she did and 10 things I hate about you I don't know how but I really enjoyed the series it's probably another one that I'm going to rewatch this season again just because that's how much I enjoyed it so the lake Amazon check it out and those are my three hidden gems for this week guys thank you so much you know if you again if you ever have any thoughts recommendations you want us to recap something do not hesitate to reach out and let us know we appreciate it absolutely absolutely Oh, so Ashley, really quick, I just want to read <laughs> one of our comments before we go. Yes. Um, this is the latest one that we have. We got it from Angry Joe's Friend. I appreciate this alias so much. <laughs> it's from June 8th, 2022. Great chemistry. I love how Delora and Ashley have different personalities, but the podcast never feels disjointed. They play off each other's energy very well, and it keeps me listening. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Angry Joe's friend, for leaving a comment. I've posted it on our social media. Please be sure to follow us on our Instagram and check out our stories. But we appreciate all your comments, you guys. Thank you. And please keep them coming. And guys, we are going to be taking a couple of weeks away because, again, we're going to Essence Fest and Delora has to celebrate uh, her B-Day out here in these streets. It's also around the holiday, so it's not solely, you know, about me. But um, we may do some posts of like, you know, some old shows for you guys to enjoy and kind of get a taste for and uh, continue to give you something in our absence. We'll see. But just know we'll be back with some new fresh episodes in a couple of weeks and we will see you then. Bye.